one last time that we'll read this passage together. It's been kind of a, the base uh, passage that we are looking at in our the series that we've been doing on the community church, what the early church was like, and how it should set a model for the church throughout the ages, including our own time. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's the word of the Lord. Praise Him. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, we come to You now and we ask that You would take uh, this passage of scripture and perhaps others alongside of it and implant it into us. Help us to have ears ready to hear what the Spirit has to say, not only to us as a a community of people, but to each one of us as individual believers. Or to someone here, if they do not know Christ, may you speak words that they will hear today and respond to. So help us, Lord, to receive your word Uh, and be thankful for it. And we pray this in Christ's great name. Amen. So yeah, we're looking at the community church, and we've we've already looked at six six different characteristics that come out of this passage. And we've seen it in other passages as well, but the first of those was that it was a, a unified community. Unified. They were together. They were of one mind, of one purpose, of one passion. Secondly, they were a biblical community, right? A biblical community. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which happened to be the same as the Lord's teaching. They, they taught what the Lord Jesus taught. And a wonderful promise that Jesus had made to the apostles on the night that he was betrayed. He said, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit And he will teach you, but he will call to remembrance. He will help you remember all the things that I've taught you. Exact wording. That's a miraculous thing that God did for the apostles. And, uh, and, And so they continued to teach the words of Christ. And Christ, of course, was the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. So, basically, they were a biblical community. A community that, you know, encouraged one another in the Scripture. The one who prayed for one another because they saw that was so important in the Scriptures. That they did so many things uh, where they were just like, the Word of God is the the guide uh, to my path in life. A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I need to have the Word of God. And so they took it and they, they, they stored it up in their hearts and in their souls and in their minds. It got implanted there and then it, it grew in them. I, I love that imagery that James uses to receive the implanted Word. Uh, you know, implanted, imply, it's an agri- 
agricultural term, right? It's implanted. What does a plant do when it's put in the ground? Well, it grows. And some of you are garden gardeners, and I see pictures that you put on Facebook. They didn't start out as the beautiful flowers that you now put on Facebook. They start out as seeds, don't they? They get implanted in the ground, and then they grow, and they're watered, and then they bring forth wonderful beauty. Or it could be a fruit tree. You know, it takes a while for that fruit to show, show up, but it, because it was planted, it can grow and bear fruit. So they knew the importance of having the word implanted in their hearts and minds and souls. They were also a sharing community. They were devoted to fellowship. That word fellowship, koinonia, the Greek term, means to have a part, to have things in common. We just read that. They had all things in common. They were together. They, they shared life with one another. They shared life with one another because they shared life with Christ. Everything is tied to Christ, isn't it? I mean, when we believe in Christ, we're put into his body, into his temple, into his field, into his flock, into his community of people redeemed by him for his glory. And so, what do you do? You share life with those people. I like how the psalm put the beautiful look at the saints. Uh, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the magnificent ones in whom is all my delight. We share life with the rest of the saints, those who have been set apart from the consequence of their sin, set apart unto holiness, unto purity, to the glory of Christ. We share life. We fellowship together. So important that we do that. So, they also were a worshiping community. And they, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We just did that. We just worshiped the Lord in remembrance. Before that, we worshiped the Lord through singing. Now, right now, what we're doing is worshiping the Lord through giving our attention to His Word. And after this, we're going to worship the Lord in partaking of a meal, recognizing He is the provider of it. But they were a worshiping community. They worshiped together, and when they left there together uh, and went out to their normal daily lives, they worshiped as they lived life. They lived life showing that they valued the Lord Jesus Christ. That it was clear, He meant everything to them. That's what a worshiping life is like. And and then when they gathered together, they declared that God to God together. They were a worshiping community, declaring through their lives through their words and through their acts, that God was worth everything to them. They were also a praying community. We see it in the text, in verse 42, the last one in verse 42, that they were devoted to prayer. To prayer. You know, prayer is such an important part of our life. It is an essential element of what God puts before us so that we might grow in Him. As you, as you are reading through the, the Bible this year, because you are part of a biblical community, right? And you're going to read through the Bible this year. Hopefully you're, you are doing that. 
And as you read it, you will come upon prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. And those prayers have commonalities to them generally. You know, there's an adoration of God that goes on in the prayer. God, you're great. You're, you're awesome. You're above and beyond everything. You're holy. You are omniscient. You know everything. And you're all powerful. You can do whatever you want to do. And nothing, no one can stop you from that. And, and God, you are present everywhere. No matter where I go, you walk with me and you talk with me and you... you you help me along the way. And, and God, you are compassionate. You recognize that we are weak people and, and we need your assistance every day. And God, you are forgiving. God, you are so forgiving. So these kinds of things come out in our prayer life, right? And, and then, you know, that naturally helps us to think about the things that we do as sin. And we confess those things to God. And I would suggest that, you know, a real praying community and a praying individual will not, like, wait till the end of the day. Well, I, I, I got to, before I go to sleep tonight, I got to, you know, confess my sins. The truth is, as children of God, we walk in the light because we walk in fellowship with God. And because we walk in the light when we sin, it shows. We see it for what it is, and then we confess it for what it is. And God is faithful and just to forgive us that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we think about what God does in forgiving us, it calls forth thanksgiving, doesn't it? You, you can remember where I'm going with this. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, where we thank God for what He's done in the past. We thank God for what He's doing right now. And we thank God for what He will do for us as a community and for us as individuals. And that then makes it a little bit a little bit easier or a little bit more uh, natural for us to then have the right kind of supplications that we put before God. Supplications? Yes. Request, right? Request. So that's that model that you see going throughout the scripture, the the acronym ACTS. A C T S and uh, they were that kind of community. And we, we, we talked about how they prayed in times of persecution and, and conflict among believers and times of crisis. And uh, when the, the ministry was expanding so fast, they prayed about that and they prayed for leadership in the church and they prayed when they were having to depart from one another because they didn't know if they'd see each other again. And, and there's so many things about it and, that we see in their life. And that prayer kept them as interdependent people, not independent people. Praying together draws your lives together. You see how these go together, right? Being unified, being biblical, sharing life together, worshiping God together, praying together. It, it, it brings us all together. One people for God's glory. And they were an awesome community. That's just taken out of the phrase in verse 43 that they kept feeling a sense of awe. Or more literally, now fear was coming upon every soul. They were a, a, a people, a community of people who recognized God for who, who he was. Truly for who he was. And, 
and it produced in them a fear of the Lord that then affected the way that they live. We talked about that. The whole sermon, we talked about that, that understanding God for who He is and then seeing ourselves in light of who we are compared to Him, it produces a fear of Him. Now, that's not a fear that we're going to be judged for our sin because there is no condemnation for us as children of God. Jesus bore the condemnation that we rightly deserve. But that doesn't mean we don't need to fear the Lord in in our daily living. We should. Recognizing Him for who He is, you know, and we declare Him to be Father. Peter put it that way. If you you recognize Him as Father, then be holy as He is holy. Because it's like Father, like children. Right? Like Father, like children. We should learn to be like Him more and more. Uh, each day. They were uh, an awesome community. Well, that's all a summary of where we've been. Let's pick it up with the next one. Three more to go, and yes, we are finishing today, so hang on to your hat or your seat or whatever you need to hang on to. They were a supernatural community. They were a supernatural community. Verse 43, once again, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see that being the case. There were many signs and wonders taking place. Did you notice it was through the apostles? Primarily the signs and wonders, the miracles that were performed were done by the apostles. Uh, An example of one other one was Philip, who was one of the seven men chosen in Acts 6 to serve tables. He went to Samaria, and he performed, uh, by God's grace, uh, signs and wonders and so on. But it was done by the apostles. And and the point of it was that it, it showed that the apostles were not only continuing the words of Christ, his teaching, but they were continuing the works of Christ as well. The, the miracles that he performed, they performed. And the, the early community of believers understood they worshipped the God of the humanly impossible, right? They understood that nothing is impossible with God, and that God oftentimes does things that is not possible for men to do, and oftentimes not possible for men to even understand how it could be done. They firmly believed that what was happening was not the work of man, but the work of the almighty living God. They, They knew that. They saw God's hand working, doing things that could not be experienced by human reason, experienced or explained by human reason or man's ability or ancient or we could say modern technology. It's not a matter of man's ability or technology. The things that they saw were unexplainable by any other way than it being God's work. Now let me give you a few examples of that that show up in the book of Acts. In in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of it, verses 1 through 11, the the Holy Spirit shows up in verses 1 through 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. 
Now, what does that mean? And you may have heard lots of things about that. But it's clear what it means when you read the text. It means that they were speaking in languages or dialects that they did not know before the Holy Spirit filled them. And they didn't use Babel. And by that I mean the computer you know, program that helps you learn a foreign language. Or any other, you know, fast uh, memory kind of uh, foreign language things. Uh, no, they didn't. They just had the ability to speak a language that they did not know before that. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And how do I know that? Well, look at verse 5 and following. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. A lot of these people had come for Passover. Now they're living in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, that sound being the Holy Spirit speaking through these men with languages that they didn't know, and, and, and they came together, they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and, and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. That was a miracle. It was a miracle. Men speaking languages that they didn't know before that day. And they all were speaking about the same thing. Right? The mighty deeds of God. Bringing glory to God through that. Amen. In, in 243, of course, we've already noted it says that many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we find... Uh, or we read of Peter and John going to the temple at the time of prayer, and, and there's a lame man who had been lame from birth, laying there, and he's, he's begging for alms, you know, support, like uh, we see on the street, homeless people. Well, he's lame. That's the only way he can support himself is ask people to contribute. And Peter says, hey, we don't have any silver and gold, but we, what we have, we give to you. <laughs> Rise up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk. And uh, he grabs his hand and the guy gets up. He had never stood on his feet. He was lame from birth. And he, 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 you see him, he's kind of testing out his legs at first. And then it says that he's kind of jumping around, you know, in joy over that. And then that opened up an opportunity for pre Peter to preach another gospel message because it was so fantastic what Jesus had done through them. Beautiful, beautiful. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, it tells us that the, the religious leaders couldn't deny that that miracle had taken place. Same miracle, the healing of the lame one. By the way, do you remember Jesus healing lame people? Like the guy lowered through the roof and, and, and you know, brought down by his friends, and Jesus heals him, take up your pallet and walk. Uh, or, or the lame man uh, sitting, uh, laying at the pool of Bethesda, and he's like, do you, need, you know, do you need someone to throw you in? Well, I've got better than that. Just stand up. <laughs> you know, Jesus healed lame people all the time, didn't he? I mean, that, that's amazing. It was amazing. And the disciples, the apostles, were doing the same thing. 
They were continuing the works of Christ. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we see a, a miracle that kind of catches you with a different perspective. Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much they had sold their property because they wanted to get you know a lot of praise for giving so much money to the church. And Peter says, uh, is this what you gave? Yeah, that's what he gave. Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Boom, he's dead. And then his wife comes in shortly after that. Is this what you gave? Yeah, it is. Boom, she's dead. Miraculous. And that, that wasn't done by Peter. That was done by God because they had lied to the Holy Spirit. But it was a miraculous thing and it caused fear among the community. In chapter 9, verses 36 through 42, we see a woman raised from the dead, Peter, and a widow lady who is known to be such a helper of other people. And uh, she's raised from the dead. In chapter 12, verses 6 through 11, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago that as the church was praying for Peter, he's locked up in prison and uh, facing certain death. And an angel is sent by God and then rescues him from that. A miraculous rescue. In chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, we see evil spirits being cast out by the Apostle Paul in in the city that he's preaching the gospel in. And does that sound like Jesus? Well, absolutely it does. He was always casting out evil spirits. They were doing the same works. And then in chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, you read almost a, a little bit of comedy to it. Peter's in a, in a house and he's preaching the gospel and a young man is sitting in the window sill and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he falls asleep and he falls dead out the window, and he falls to his death, and that's a, a, that's a preacher getting his sermon stopped in the middle. He goes out, and, and the young man is raised from the dead, and he goes back in, and he continues the sermon as it should have been. They saw miraculous things done, and you know, as I thought about this, I thought it's a sad reality, reality that the church has become so proficient at doing church that it often programs the supernatural right out of, you know, their services and ministries. I thought about mega churches. They often function kind of like in a business model with the CEO and at the helm and right people in the right place, you know, performing duties for which they have been trained and educated to do. And and they do it so efficiently, there's, there's no time to actually pause uh, no time to you know stop and think about what God is doing and see the supernatural work of the, of the Lord. Not that having organization and programs and uh, you know trained people is a bad thing, but we must be careful that we do not allow ourselves to trust in our own abilities, our own programs, our own strength. Uh, you know, rather than the sovereign and supernatural working of God, right? We must be very careful about that. I, I was thinking also about the children of Israel. And I wonder if the children of Israel didn't have the same kind of problem as they walked through the wilderness wanderings for 40 years um, I wonder if they just got so proficient at moving a camp from anywhere from 2 to 6 million, or some say 6 to 10 million people, you know, that would have to move, uh, that they, they, they stopped marveling 
They got proficient at making the move, but they stopped marveling at the cloud of God's glory or the pillar of fire above the the tabernacle that would signal when it was time to change locations and would lead them to the next location. And I, I wonder if in their busy lives as shepherds or tent makers or artisans or cooks or moms and dads raising their children, you know, walking their children to a game of stickball or chase the goat or whatever, you know, games that they played in their communities, that they stopped marveling that they never needed to make new shoes or that they never needed to do sew some new garments, that they never needed to worry about having enough food for their tables, that they never needed to be concerned at all because God was miraculously, supernaturally taking care of them. In fact, we see it in the book of Acts that God warned the children of Israel when they went into the land, don't forget to remember who it was that did all of this for you. In fact, Go, go with me, if you real, would, real quick, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a very short chapter, but I, I think it's worth reading. Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord... You, swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and he let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Then he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments or his ordinances or his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great 
and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth, but you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It has come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. We need to be seeing the work of the Lord our God in our midst. Do you notice that some of that was miraculous, right? Water out of a rock, food out of heaven, you know, clothes that didn't wear out, even feet that didn't swell. But there were other things as well. It was just God brought them into a place where they could find copper and gold and silver in the hills where they could mine certain things. They brought them to, you know, a piece of property and it would be fertile and they could plant things and it would grow and be fruitful. Now that doesn't sound like miraculous, but it was because it was God who gave them all these things. He says, don't forget it. Don't forget it. And we should understand that the same God of the supernatural is, is among us today. The same God of the impossible is working among us to the, the, today. The, the, the God that performed miracles among the children of Israel and for the early Christians is the same God is performing miracles today. Now, it may not be through the hand of the apostles because the apostles are no longer here. They were the foundation, not the building. And it may be that certain miraculous gifts like that are no longer functioning in the church, but that doesn't mean that God is not doing miraculous things. And if you do any reading, not, not so much about things in America, but pl- other places, you'll read miraculous stories of God getting a Bible to a person who had just longed to, uh, to read a Bible because someone else had witnessed to them about the Bible, and a Bible miraculously shows up in their mailbox. Or a lot of people, particularly in the Muslim world, uh, someone shares faith with them, and then God will give that person a, a dream, and in the dream it will be Jesus, is how they would refer to him. But Jesus comes to them in a dream and, and uh, makes himself known. And they wake up and they go and find people that can tell them more about Jesus. So miracles are still being done. God still heals people of diseases, Right? He can do that for anyone. He chooses to do that for some and not for others, but he's still performing miracles. But I was thinking also in terms of, you know, the miracle of new birth and changed life that is, is you know, happening all the time uh, as, as God grows a person. The miracle of God uniting in one community, people from all different kinds of backgrounds, religious, ethnic, you know, economical, 
racial, you know, all kinds of differences that normally separate people, and he brings them into one group as he did in Jerusalem. It's happening in our midst even now, and, and we must continue to expect and look for God to do the supernatural, to do things that, among us that can only be explained by God working. Right? We should keep our eyes peeled. Let us not forget. I know what you're thinking. I know. I see it's 1151. You're not going to get through. Yes, we are. Here we are. The last two. They were a loving community. They were a loving community. We read it in our text, that base text that we've used, that paragraph. They were sacrificing personal possessions for other people. They, as you read through Acts, they were sacrificing personal rights and personal preferences. They loved one another in very practical ways, and they did so even unto death. They were willing to die for one another. And this was, wasn't it? This was the one mark that Jesus said would help unbelievers to know that we are his followers if we have love for one another. And that was the case in the early church. It marked them. And it should still mark us today that we be a loving com- community. Number nine, they were a growing community. And this is kind of at the, the conclusion of Luke's description of the early church community. And in, in a sense, it's fine, the final characteristic, but it's also you know, the result uh, or the effect of when the church community has all those other characteristics. God brought lots of people into their community through faith in Christ because they were people that knew that they needed to share the gospel with others. They, they saw in believers love, sharing, praying, uh, you know, teaching that they agreed on. They saw one mind, one purpose, one passion, and they wanted to be part of it. And so it wasn't their programs bringing lost people it was god bringing them right they were having favor with all the people why because of what the people saw in the community and the lord was adding to their number day by day of those who were being saved you see this as you go through the book of acts let me show you real quick acts chapter six go over there you can keep your pages turning Acts six and verse seven we find these periodic summary statements about the church growing. Here it is. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. They were growing. The word of God was pr- progressing. The gospel was going out. Chapter 9 and verse 31, a verse that we looked at a few weeks ago. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Chapter 12 and verse 24. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Chapter 16 and verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And then chapter 19 and verse 20.
So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The church was destined to grow, you know, and that was the universal church, right? That was the universal church. It was the church in Judea and Jerusalem and in, 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 in Samaria and in Galilee and, and then all the churches that were planted by Paul and, and, and on his missionary journeys, they were all growing. The, the, the church universal was growing. And that often meant that local churches were growing too. Um, and, and that was a mark of people sharing their faith and, and those people not only saying words but living life in front of lost people and people could see in them something that they were missing, something that, that the joy that they have that when they lived in fear and they lived in guilt, these people lived with freedom. And, uh, and, and so the church was growing. Okay. Five minutes to share some, and it may take a little bit longer than five minutes, but some applicational questions. I'm going to read through these pretty quickly, and, and uh, if you want to go back, you can listen to it again and write down the questions. I don't think Joel's going to be able to get them all up there, or you're not going to be able to read them fast or write them fast enough. But these are just made, uh, written to give us pause. It causes us to think, are we being the church community that God wants us to be? We, I did this the very first week, in, uh, week one of this series regarding the unity of the church. I, I asked this, what, what am I doing to promote unity within the church? Do I look for and take advantage of opportunities to encourage my brothers and sisters do I support and defend the leaders of the church and the rest of the family? Do I engage in activities that would harm the unity of the body? What would that be? Well, like gossip and slander and backbiting. Do I receive and make accusations against others but refuse to pursue reconciliation with those people? How about regarding devotion to biblical teaching? Do I regularly pray for the clear, the clear teaching and preaching of the scriptures at ABF? Am I personally growing in, uh, in, uh, in my understanding of God's Word? How much time? How much time do I spend in reading or in studying the Scriptures compared to other activities that I'm involved in? You can put it on a weekly basis or a daily basis or a monthly basis. Ask that question. How much time do I give the word of, to the Word of God versus other things that could be recreation, it could be family, it could be TV, it could be whatever. Am I fulfilling my responsibility as a parent uh, or as a grandparent? Carol and I think in, in these terms now, as a, as a parent or a grandparent in helping my children or grandchildren to understand the discipline and instruction of the Lord, or am I simply leaving it to a church, you know, a church to teach them train them? Am I willing to become part of a small group that will grow together in relationships and in their understanding and living out of the scriptures? Am I willing to teach in a Bible study or in children's ministry or in youth ministry while I engage in teaching other people the word of God? 
Am I willing to connect with two or three other people in kind of a discipleship setting to where we can, you know, grow together in the Word and encourage one another to be faithful to the Lord Jesus and can hold each other accountable about how we're living out the truth? How about in regard to devotion to fellowship or the sharing of my life with others? Do I genuinely share my life with the rest of the spiritual community or am I simply connecting with them at a surface level? You know, it's like, like I just bang up against them, but then I'm gone. Would others in the church think that I'm a vital part of ministry at ABF? Would they hardly notice if I weren't there? I mean, is my attitude toward gathering together as God's people less than what it should be? Do I have an independent spirit or an interdependent spirit? What ministry should I be serving in? How about regarding devotion to worship? Have my thoughts towards worship been self-centered and being more concerned about what I may get out of a service versus how much God may be glorified in that service? Do I consider the breaking of bread as just a ritual to be followed or done as, rather than a you know, vital part uh, of worshiping the Lord with the rest of God's people? Am I gifted in such a way that I could participate in, in uh, helping the body to, to worship together? Well, that's in a, the sound ministry or projection ministry. We could use help there. Or, or in the singing ministry, or an instrument, do you play an instrument? Would you, would you like to be part of that? Do you have a, 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 a voice that you'd like to share and help others to sing to the glory of the Lord? How about regarding devotion to prayer? Do I, do I share my prayer requests with the rest of the body? <laughs> we, we have people sharing them, and I wonder, do you share do you share requests with other people? I have a gal that, that text messages me. I didn't even know how she got in contact with me. It was a text initially. Is there anything I could pray for you and your church, for your family and your church family? She, she does this weekly. I just sent her a text yesterday. She's, she's praying for us. She's never been, never been here, but she's praying for us. I know that people in the Gideon ministry, they're praying for local churches too. They've been praying for us. Am I willing to share my requests with other people? Am I, am I willing to become an active minister in prayer for the rest of the people? Will I commit to praying daily for some members of the body? Well, you know, will I keep a... The, what was what it called? The, help me? Journal. Not a journal, but the, the directory. <laughs> well, I take out a directory and just look up some people's names and look at their pictures and I'm going to pray for them. My wife does that daily. She's praying for you. Will I, will I be willing to do that? In what ways, you know, can I be used in the prayer ministry of ABF? Do I pray regularly for the leadership of the church? Uh, I can tell you we could use your prayers. Be praying for the leadership. 
do I pray for whoever's preaching on the Lord's Day or whoever is, is uh, going to be sharing in our, in our time of worship and remembrance? Do I pray for that? Do I pray for those that are working in children's ministry, for those that are engaged in missionary service? We have two missionary, we support uh, a handful of missionaries. Some of them are abroad. We have two of them that fellowship in our church. Pastor Greg is one of them. He's been with Send Missions for uh, uh, forever. And he's a missionary that we support, and he works down in the prison sharing the gospel with people down there and then helping them to understand God's work more. Do I pray for him? Uh, Kia, who's just gone full-time into missionary service, she worships with us. She helps us in our worship by playing piano, but she's also... Right now, uh, going to be going down this early this week down to Minneapolis for about six weeks to get further training on interacting with ethnic people that need to hear the gospel. We should be praying for her, especially while she's down there in Minneapolis, right? How about regarding the church being awesome? You know, the questions are, do I have a proper fear of the Lord which motivates me to live a holy life? In, in what ways do I stimulate the fear of the Lord in the, in the church body? In what ways do I contribute to the church being effective in producing the fear of the Lord in people outside the church, in unbelievers? Would my children or friends or co-workers say that I have a, a proper respect for the things of God? Would people around me recognize that I believe that God is absolutely awesome? How about regarding the supernatural work of God in our midst? Have I become so automatic or ritualistic in my participation in the church that I I fail to see the supernatural work of God in my life or in my brothers and sisters? Have I allowed my life to get so busy that I fail to take the necessary time to stop and look and listen to see and hear the work of God among us. God doing the impossible. What have I, what have I seen taking place lately? Maybe this last week or more than, more than uh, last month. What have I seen that could only be explained by the supernatural working of the living God? Have I thanked him for that? How about regarding loving others like Jesus loves me? Would others see in me, would others see in me love for Christ and for others? Would they recognize that my motto is others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Let me live for others that I might live like thee. Would they recognize that kind of love in me? a love for the Lord Jesus and for other people? Would my spouse and children say that it's clear that I love Christ more than anything else in this world? He means everything to me. Would Jesus say that though I still keep all the rules, hold fast to sound doctrine, can recognize a false teacher when I hear the, the teaching Would he say the truth is you've lost your first love? You've lost your first love. Has my devotion for the Savior diminished from what it once was? 
has my love for other people diminished from what it once was or should be? What are some practical ways that I've shown love to others, believers or unbelievers, over the past week? How have I shown love to them? And regarding being used by God to to bring others into the faith and the church, am I looking for opportunities to present the gospel with the people that God brings to me? Will I share the gospel with others? Would I'd be willing to go through a seminar like in, I don't know, October. Or a class learning how to share the gospel with the lost. A whole lot of questions, and there'd be many more that you could probably come up with that deal with those marks, those characteristics of the early church. Oh Lord, may we be like the early church. May we bear the same characteristics that you brought about in them. Because that's what we see. We see you at work in their midst. We see you at work in their lives. And that's what we pray for, that you would work in our lives in the same way and that that would produce in us and around us the very things that we see recorded in the Scripture about the early church. Thank you that you're still building your church. We pray that you continue to build us, Anchorage Bible Fellowship, into the people that can bring you glory and honor. That To be a church that exalts the Lord and edifies one another and evangelizes the lost. As you do that, we'll be very careful to remember that it is you who are doing it. And we'll thank you for it. We pray all of this in Christ's great name. Amen.